Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I came across something that fascinated me the other day. I read a study, a study that said that every third person, okay, one, two, three, one, two, three, all the way around the world, every third person is either remarkably handsome and highly intelligent or incredibly beautiful and absolutely brilliant. Every third person. Now, I want you to humor me. Humor me here. And I want everybody to do it. If you don't do it, I'm going to call you out. Not really. Not really. I want you to, first of all, I want you to look at the person on your left. Wait wait a minute. This is the other left. On your left. Okay, now look at them real good. Now turn and look at the person on your right. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them good. Now look back at me. Now, I believe that you would agree with me 100% that obviously that third person isn't one of them, right? (laughs) So that only leaves one other person, and that's you. So I want you to go through the rest of your life thinking and saying, I am that third person. (laughs) And basically, that's what I want to talk to you about today and next Sunday. Well, you see, all through the Bible... The scriptures are full of passages that give us God's perspective of who we are. It says things like, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. If God is for me, who who can be against me? And thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. The fact of the matter is God sees you as a champion. He looks at you and he, in spite of all of your weaknesses, in spite of all of your sins, in spite of all of the gunk that was in your life before he cleaned you up, he looks at you and sees you as a victor, as a world changer. And even though sometimes the circumstances we go through are maybe overwhelming to us, And make us feel anything but a world changer or a champion. When God looks at you, he says, sick him. Because he sees a giant killer in each and every one of you here today. And I want to share with you this morning and hopefully wrap it up next Sunday. A study that I did with a a group of pastors that when we were working with Dr. John Maxwell in his million, it was called the Million Leaders Mandate. He had a goal of training one million leaders around the world in two years. And what he did is he brought together pastors and leaders from around the world, and he assigned us different countries. Dr. Ron McManus and I were assigned the Philippines, and we were all over that country. Happened to be the very first graduating class of that million man mandate. And in two years, that's how he accomplished his goal. So John gave us all the outlines, and he said, go sick them. So I'm taking today, if you'll allow me these next two weeks, I'm taking today that outline and I'm going to, I've put together with the help of the Holy Spirit, a message that I believe is, I believe it's, it's timely, I believe it's for you and for me where we live 
in this culture and in this age. So I want to share with you, and over the course of the next two Sundays, I'm going to give you some characteristics, not all of them because we wouldn't have time. I'm going to give you four today and four, the Lord willing, next week, four characteristics of a giant killer. Because I, God has been tr- showing me, especially with what I shared with you last week, some of the things that I've gone through, how to handle are these huge challenges that we face in life and handle them God's way. And so I want to share some of the things that I've been learning as we walk through this. And uh, I want to talk to you about how to handle your challenges, things that happen in your life that you didn't plan for. How many have ever had a giant pro- a problem that became a giant in your life? Something that was bigger than you. Okay, let's, those are all the honest people in the church right there today. Well... You, don't, you just wait around. It's a part of life. If we're going to learn how to be giant killers, then we need to go to the Word of God. And I think we need to check out probably the, the best known giant slayer of all time, and that was David. So we're going to look at some of the characteristics of David's life. In fact, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, open your uh, smartphone to 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you would, quickly, or whatever smart device you're using. Uh, I've gotten to the place that... My Bible, it's easier to carry this everywhere I go. So I, I, I listen to the Bible. I listen to the Word when I'm driving. I'm, uh, when, I, when I have, I can pull it right out. It's, it's right there, the app. And uh, so I don't know what you have, but you pull it out if you would. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. This is what it reads. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of Almighty God, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Love that passage. Every school child, grade school kid, even though we're living in a postmodern, post-Christian world, Everyone is familiar to some degree of this story. And I'm referring to David, the little shepherd boy. He had been, even though this story takes place after he has been anointed to be king of all of Israel, before he could become king, he would indeed have to defeat this Goliath, the giant. Now, isn't it kind of that way in our lives? Have you discovered that yet? I was kind of surprised to see the few hands that went up that said, you've never had to face a giant. Maybe you just didn't want to raise your hand because facing giants is a part of life. And do you remember the story when the children of Israel were delivered from the 400 years of Egyptian bondage and God used Moses to lead them out across the Red Sea, took them across the Sinai. They ended up encamped right outside the promised land, the promised land of Canaan. And Moses sent 12 spies, remember that? Sent 12 spies in there to spy out the land. He said, I want you to go in, record what you see, and come back and give us a report. The 12 spies came back, and uh, 10 of those spies came back and said, well, it is just like God said it is. It's a great land. It's full of milk flowing with milk and honey. It's got everything we need and more. But there are giants in that land. And compared to us, we look like grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb said, so what? Right? Yes, they're giants in the land. 
But God will give us this land if we'll just go in and possess it. You know the story of how the children of Israel chose to listen to the ten negative spies instead of listening to Joshua and Caleb. And consequently, an entire generation would have to die off in the desert because they got their eyes on their giants instead of on the promises of God. Now, before I share with you those characteristics of a giant killer, let me just share with you some things, some observations about the giants that you and I face. And by the way, a giant can be almost anything in your life. We face financial giants. Living in Southern California is so expensive to live here. There are people that live from paycheck to paycheck, are barely making it, or in debt up to their earlobes. There are people in poverty, so people understand financial giants. There are physical giants that touch us with health issues. There are family giants of dysfunction and division and conflict. And then there are self-image giants, that, uh, that feeling of you'll never amount to anything. Your mom and dad were losers. You're destined to be a loser. You go to the prisons anywhere in America, and 90% of those prisoners, it's a, it's a study that's been done, will tell you that somebody spoke that kind of thing into their life. And on and on I could go with the kinds of problems that can become giants in our, in our, in our lives. And let me just say this. Whatever, whatever it is that God wants to accomplish in your, in your life, I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, this, he said, this is your promised land. This is you. This is giant land. And your promised land is just on the side, other side of giant land. And you only can get there one way. You got to go through the giants. I hope you hear this this morning. But the fact is that you will never accomplish what God really has in store for you as an individual and us as a church without facing giants. Because giants are just a part of living life. So the first thing that we need to understand is a little bit about what giants are, I think. And then how are we supposed to view those giants in light of God's word? So allow me to give you three truths about the giants in your life. And this is all just introductory. I told you it's going to take me two weeks to do this. So let me give those to you quickly if you're taking notes. Number one, every giant introduces me to myself. It introduces me to me. I wish I had a mirror here today. I'd hold it up and I'd say, every problem that you have is like this mirror. The mirror, when I look in the mirror today, I, you know, I think of myself as being, you know, 40 years old. But I look in the mirror, and I see some old guy looking back at me. In fact, he looks a lot like my dad, and I can't figure out where he came from. But that mirror reflects what I am. You hear me? That's what our problems do. Every problem you face is that way. A crisis doesn't make us. A crisis just reveals what we already are. So negative Situations are challenges that you experience only uncover what's already inside of you as a believer. In fact, I want you to write this down somewhere if you would, please. Write it down or memorize it. Our character isn't made in a crisis. 
I've heard people try to teach that. It's not made. Your character is not made in a crisis. It is revealed in the crisis. Well, what is character? Doing the right thing, whatever God calls right, even if it costs me. That's character. I told your staff this, I tell, and I want to tell you as a church this too, as your transition pastor. We do not have problems in this church. We have opportunities. We have opportunities for God's character to shine in and through us. Can you say amen to that? I've discovered that every giant that I face introduces me to myself. Secondly, people who accomplish great things have defeated giants. The fact of the matter is there's not, there's not a team, there's not an individual, there's not a group that has accomplished something important without having to face some kind of giant obstacle along the way. And there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of proof for that, both biblically and psychologically and sociologically. Let me just cite one. In 1962, psychologists Victor and Mildred Gortzel, they published a very revealing study where they studied 400 people's lives who were very gifted and, very, and they had accomplished great things. And these two researchers were trying to find out, are there any commonalities? Is there a thread that runs through their lives that ties them together so that we can identify that to say, if you're going to accomplish great things, then this is what you've got to do. And the most outstanding fact that they found was that almost all of them, 392 out of the 400, had to overcome very difficult obstacles in order to become who they were. In other words, their problems became opportunities instead of becoming obstacles. And I want to say it to you as a believer. If you're going to get to the promised land, that which God has promised you, then you're first going to have to face some giants. Let me give you one more truth that you'll discover about the giants that you and I face in life. And that is that giants are often tools that God uses to shape us for some bigger opportunity. That's what he does. In the story that's before us, David and Goliath, David prior to fighting Goliath, was, he was virtually an unknown. Oh, he was just, he was simply a shepherd boy. And we know how God used him in remarkable ways prior to killing Goliath. I mean, he, he, he was protecting the sheep. He killed, a, he killed a bear. He killed a lion, right? But nobody really knew that. But I promise you, when he knocked down that giant, most people could see that he was being shaped to become a national leader. And God used David's giant and really as a tool to prepare him for the next step he had for his life. And I, I just want to say at the outset of my message today, God's going to do the same thing with you, and he'll do the same thing with me. There's an old singer, and we're going to show our age here today. There's an old gospel singer by the name of Ethel Waters. Anybody ever heard of her? Those are, there's not one person under 60 that raised their hand, I don't think. <laughs> Ethel Waters was a great gospel singer, but she coined a phrase that has been recoined, that has been changed, and, but she originated it. She said, God don't waste no pain. He don't waste no hurt. I want to suggest to you that God doesn't waste a step either. And Paul puts it this way. Paul says the same thing. He says, and we know that God 
works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you look at the original language, that verse actually says, in all things God works. That's what it says. In all things, the good things that bring a smile to my face, God is there. It's easy to trace his steps. But those things that rip at my soul, those things that bring make my, my brow wrinkle, the tears come down my eyes, those things that break my heart, God is there too. And he's working good for the purposes of his kingdom in your life. James says it this way in James 1, 2 through 4. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Friend, that pain, that hurt that you're experiencing today in your life or in your family, if you'll let him, God will take it and he will use it to shape you for something bigger and greater than you can even dare to believe for. If you believe it, say amen. amen. So let me ask you a question. What are you facing today? What giant are you facing in your life? Maybe sometime today you could write down the name or make a list, one or two giants that you're facing so that you can identify them because we're going somewhere with this. Or maybe you're like the lady that I prayed for this week who's, she's facing a whole army of giants. And she was so beaten down, she couldn't even see Jesus. All she saw were her problems. But as we got together and we prayed, God, the Holy Spirit, became the lifter of her head. And she began to see things differently from the perspective of God's vantage point rather than her own. Make a list. I'm here to remind you this morning that God has brought you to this service to declare that he sees you as a, he sees you as a champion. He sees you as a giant slayer. I believe that with all of my heart. And if you will let him use you, he will cause you with the things that you're going through, he'll cause you to do incredible things in the kingdom of God. Well, I'm, now I'm ready to get preaching. You ready? What are some of the characteristics of a giant killer? Well, let me give you four very quickly. So you have to write fast if you're taking notes. 1 Samuel chapter 17 spells them all out. And I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but if, if you've never read this story, you should read it. And if you have read it, I would challenge you to reread it in light of these characteristics that I'm going to give to you today. Um, but number one, we need to keep in mind that giant killers, they don't begin as giant killers, right? Verses 14 through 24, we read how when war broke out between the Philistines and uh, Israelites, David was just a kid. He was a teenager. I mean, he was, he was a musician. He was playing back here in the band, right? He was a shepherd, not a warrior. And while his brothers were serving as soldiers, he was just serving as an errand boy for his dad, Jesse. And his dad wanted him to take some food down to the camp and to uh, just find out how the guys are doing. And when David arrived at the camp, he noticed they were all dressed, all the soldiers were dressed for battle, but they were all standing behind a protective wall on this side of the mountain. They were couched down behind the wall. On the other side of the mountain were the Philistines, and the Israelites refused to engage 
in battle against the Philistines. But there was a reason. Because for 40 straight days, the Philistines sent their champion, Goliath, down into the valley. And he was saying all kinds of stuff. He was taunting the king and the soldiers, calling them everything that they could think of back in those days. He was trying to pick a fight. But Saul's army refused to fight Goliath because he literally was a giant. I mean, the guy was over nine, he was nine feet tall. And David's brothers and the soldiers were scared to death. Now, I want to make just a couple of observations right here concerning David. First of all, David was faithful to do the small tasks. He was faithful to do the small tasks. He was doing exactly what his, his dad Jesse had asked him to do in verse 17 of, of 1 Samuel chapter 17. His dad said, I want you to take some, some of this grain and some cheese sandwiches. I want you to take them down to your brothers and then tell me how the, come back and tell me how the battle's going. So the first thing he did was he was being obedient. Let me say this to you. The Bible says of us, don't despise small beginnings. You know what? You know how you become a giant killer? It starts with the day in, day out tasks. Just being faithful in those things that nobody may even see but you and God. The Bible makes it very clear that if you'll do the right thing for the right reason, it'll pay off in the end. And that's really what faithfulness is. If I were to define faithfulness to you, faithfulness and faith go hand in hand. If you look at them Scripturally, they go hand in hand. But faithfulness is doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. There was a group of university students who were traveling throughout Europe. They were from the U.S. and uh, they were representing their history class. And they were going to different places, historic sites of great emperors and leaders. And they were going to cathedrals and they were going to castles. And they went into this one little quiet Austrian village and they were so excited to see what was in the village. And they went in and they found a man coming out. And they stopped him and said, sir, do you speak English? He said, yes, I do. And they said, could you tell us? We're, we're students. And they explained what they were doing. We're looking for great leaders and all that. And they said, were, were there any great leaders born here in this village? And he looked at them with a puzzled look. He said, great leaders? No, just babies. <laughs> just babies. <laughs> Giant killers don't start as giant killers. They become one as they learn faithfulness. Don't miss this. Faithfulness in the small tasks of life as they face their giants. As I prepared for this, I wondered, I asked the Lord about this for myself, and I will throw me in the mix of all of this. You may not need this, but could it be that one of the reasons we're not defeating our giants and not finding the victory is because we're not being faithful in the small things that God has asked us to be faithful in. Some of those things may be faithful to read his word. How can I take on a spiritual giant if I don't even have the sword of the word, the sword of the spirit in my hand? Or maybe being faithful in seeking God's face in prayer. Or faithful in the way that I treat others so that I treat them as Christ treats me are faithful on the job or at school or here in church, are faithful in giving 
The Bible teaches me I'm supposed to be a giver. Am I faithful? Are faithful in you fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill it in, what God's asking you to do. Faithfulness is a characteristic of a giant killer. Amen, Pastor John. Number two, giant killers see the potential reward if they defeat the giant. They see the potential reward if they defeat the giant. The fact is, when you start talking about overcoming giants, overcoming the problems in your life, the vast majority of people, when they see, when they see what they're going through, all they see is the problem. All they see is the giant. All they see is the obstacles. Only a few believers will dare to look. They see the giant, but they look past the giant, and they see the objective. You see, what separates the fruitful believer from the unfruitful believer is the fruitful believer sees the impact and reward for taking a risk, but it doesn't stop there. Then they take it. The rest of the people who do not become faithful and fruitful believers are the ones who see the reward, but they refuse to take the risk because the risk seems too high. On that day that David faced Goliath, the thing that's interesting to me, do you ever, th- do you ever stop thinking about this? Everybody had the same opportunity. Everybody had the same opportunity to kill that giant. The ar- but the army saw Goliath and David saw God. Difference. The army saw the problem. David saw the potential. Do you see the difference in perspective? Two very different perspectives. They see the same thing. And I want to say this. Giant killers see the same thing everybody else sees, but they're looking through lenses of faith. Right? You're looking through what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is your filter. You're looking at your problem predicated on what God says about your problem, not what the doctor says about your problem, not what the banker says about your problem, not what your mother or your father or your children say, or what the devil says. You're looking at your problem through eyes of faith. If he is for me, who can be against me? Let me just say this. No matter what you're going through today, Don't, don't evaluate it just by what you see. Don't evaluate it by what you see or what you hear or what you feel. Those things are real. I mean, that we see that, but that may not be the ultimate reality because behind what we see as believers is an all-powerful, almighty God who the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. And I think God wants to remind you today, and he wants to remind me, that no matter how big your giant is, our God is bigger. Say amen, please. The third characteristic, I knew that I was going to be getting a little short on time, so I'm going to just give it to you and tell you this. Giant killers don't listen to doubting critics. They don't listen to doubting critics. He had three critics in his life. He had his brother Eliab, who tried to intimidate him emotionally. His brother, he knew how he was, and he tried to come at him from that perspective. And then he had King Saul. King Saul was the leader of the nation. He tried to intimidate David by his office, by his position. Who do you think you are? You're just a kid. Get out of here. And then 
His other critic was the giant himself, Goliath, who looked at David as a, like, a, like a fly or a gnat. He was an insignificant resource, and he, he just put him down. And my point that I'm saying that I want to make here very quickly is that you and I will have those three kinds of people in our lives, people who intimidate us, try to intimidate us emotionally, people who try to intimidate us by their position, and people who try to intimidate us by their abilities. Oh, they're better than you are. Why would you even try to do anything in that area? And we've got to learn how to get past those by, again, getting our focus up on Jesus, right? Now, how many are with me still? All right. Notice the difference in perspectives here. The army saw Goliath every day. They saw Goliath every day, and they said, he's just too big to hit. David saw him, and he said, well, wait a minute. He's too big to miss. (laughs) The army saw him and said, no, David, you're not seeing what we're seeing. He's too big. And David's over here. He's just the right size. See the difference? If you're honest, friends, many times you and I get overwhelmed when we get in David's situation because many times our giants have a reputation or they try to continually confront us or keep us defeated psychologically. Or even those people around us that know us the best that should be speaking faith to us, you know what they do? They're afraid for us. So when they get with us instead of speaking faith, we commiserate together and we tear each other down and we never deal with our giants and it creates fear in our lives. Oh, I, I want to move on and close real quickly. Uh, are you, we have any baseball players? Baseball fans? Any Dodger fans? I apologize. There's a story in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You'll discover one of the greatest all-time pitchers that ever pitched. His name was Walter Johnson. No relation. However, he does have a biblical name. Johnson. Didn't Jesus say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there you'll find a Johnson in the midst of them? No, that, no, I don't think Jesus said that. I think that was my dad. Walter Johnson, for, for over nine decades, over nine decades, held all kinds of records. When he was in his prime, he was pitching just as fast as he could. And this rookie, first time he'd ever faced him, he came up and he, he swung, swung, strike one, boom, strike two. And he looked, at the, he looked at the catcher, he looked at the umpire, and he started walking back. He was walking back to the dugout. The umpire said, where are you going, kid? You still got one more strike. You've only got two. He said, ah, oh, never mind. He said, you keep the third strike. I've seen enough. <laughs> I think that's what the Dodgers have done the last two years in the playoffs. Amen. The point is, you all loved me until then. The point is, that's how we act. We see the obstacles and we say, I've seen enough, or there's nothing I can do, and we give up instead of pressing through. And I'm here to say that God is for you. He is for you. Let me give you the last point, and we'll we'll close. The last point that I want to give to you is that they see 
Let me find it. I've, jump, I've jumped all over this, this message today. I've got so many things that my heart is full. As I come in to serve as your transition pastor, my heart is full. I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me. The best days for Bakersfield First Assembly are ahead. It's going to be great what I'm going to do. I've done some great things. They don't even understand what I'm getting ready to do. But we need to get our eyes on Jesus. And so many of us are wrapped up in keeping our eyes on our problems or on our age, whether we're too old or we're too young or I'm too inexperienced or I'm too this or too that. And God says, you're just right. I created you the way you are, and I want you to get your eyes back up on me and let me show you how I see you. It'll blow you away. I believe with all of my heart that God is saying to us today that you need to be reminded that God is bigger than your problem. God is bigger than your problem. Stop getting overwhelmed with your giants and start getting overwhelmed with your God. Come on, somebody. The Bible says that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, you believe this stuff? Do you believe it? If you believe it, it says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, mountain be removed and cast into the sea. I've come today to say this to you. Those of you that are going through struggles, God is saying it's time for you to quit telling God how big your mountain is. And it's time for you to start telling your mountain how big God is. I want to tell you about a friend of mine who fought a giant for many years. He knows what it is, he and his wife. His name is Matt Rogers. Matt Rogers, he, uh, <laughs> I first met him when Leanne and I were pastoring in Seattle. And uh, he came to our church. He played football for the University of Washington. He was attending there. His senior year, they won the Rose Bowl. He was a great young man. He was originally from Covina, California. We ended up pastoring that church for 15 years before we went to the network office. And Matt, everything he touched was gold. You know, he went out for American Idol. I didn't even know the kid sang. He went out for American Idol and became a finalist. He married this beautiful gal, and uh, they just everything they touched was gold. It was a storybook wedding. He, um, just for a side job, he decided that he was going to go out and try out to become the stadium voice for the uh, Tennessee Titans football franchise. There were over 500 candidates. He was chosen. He sent me, a, sent me a picture as he's walking in to find out the answer. He's, got a, he's, he's doing a selfie, and he says, Pastor, I'm, I'm praying in tongues. He said, I don't know what they'll think about me. But he said, I believe in God. I believe God's given me this job. Everything he's ever done has been that way. They just had their fourth child. But their second son, Mason, was born with cystic fibrosis, a debilitating disorder that that can attack the lungs. It causes your uh, thickness and, and mucus and, you know, all of the all this stuff that if it's not treated properly, people can die from that. In fact, this little boy was taking, Mason, when he was four, he was taking uh, 13 medications every day just to try to help curtail or manage 
his cystic fibrosis. It, there's, no, there's no cure. And what I didn't tell you is that when, when Mason was born, Terry and Matt, they started praying. They asked God, they said, God, what are you going to what, what do we do? And the Lord gave them a promise. I'm going to heal your son. Just trust me. Anybody ever had a promise from the Lord? Anybody? So you know what that means. He said, just trust me. So he started declaring that. Not positive confessionism. He felt like he had heard from the Lord. But these kids can't run and play like other kids. In fact, I think I have a picture of Mason when he was four years old. Yeah, there he is. He's having a breathing treatment right there. Cute little rascal. They can't run and play. Just leave that up for a minute. They can't run and play like other kids because they have to take these breathing treatments. And some days they're worse than others. And, but they kept declaring, God's going to heal our son. We kept hearing that voice of the Spirit. He's going to heal our son. One year went by, two years went by, three years went by, and it just kept going by. And people would tell Matt and Terry, you need to quit saying that. You need to start accepting it and help your son learn how to live with it. And he said, you know what, I can't. I just hear this is what I believe with all my heart in spite of what I see, in spite of what I feel. Well, something happened to Mason just this year. Mason started getting better. They took him to the doctor, the regular doctor, and the doctor said, you know, I think you better make, a, you better make a, 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 an appointment with the, with the pulmonary specialist. He said, because I'm having a little trouble detecting it here. So he went to the pulmonary specialist. And the pulmonary specialist, after he examined him, he said, I don't know what's happened, but this boy no longer has that debilitating disorder. <laughs> Hallelujah. And Matt Rogers sent me Matt Rogers sent me a note, a text. Let me let me read it. Let me read it to you real quick. This is the text he sent to me. And I want I want you to hear it just, just as we close. He said this. He said, Pastor, he said, I, I've discovered that every person in the Bible who's ever experienced victory had two things in common. Number one, they faced great adversity. Number two, in the face of that adversity. Listen to this. You need to hear this, some of you. In the face of that adversity, they trusted God. And he goes on, he says, when we face adversity, if we trust God, we will end up on the side of victory. It is never easy. That's why many people doubt, many people crumble, many people lose. They take their eyes off the promise. When you lose focus on the right thing, then the wrong thing will bring you lower than the adversity itself. You walk defeated even before tasting the defeat. But when you stand on the promise and trust the promiser, you walk and live in victory even before you experience it. You live victorious before you taste the victory. Walking as he walks means always walking in victory. That is good news. That is gospel. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Hallelujah. I want to say to you today, it's time for you and I to quit telling God how big our giants are and start telling our giants how big God is. Would you bow your head with me, please? Lord, you're in this place. I thank you for this wonderful crowd, for their attentiveness. I see that, Lord, I see you here touching hearts and touching lives. And I pray in these next few moments you will do what only you can do and provide miracles for your people. In Jesus' name, as our heads are bowed, 
you're here today and you would say, you know what, I, I'd love to have a miracle in my life. Well, I want to say to you the greatest miracle of all is salvation. And if you're here and you don't really know Jesus as your Savior, let this be that day. Let this be the first day of the rest of your life. I'd like to pray for you if you need Jesus. How many would raise your hand and say, pray for me, John. I want to make sure Jesus is alive in me today. I want to see your hand. Yes, back here. Others that I want to make sure you can put your hand down once you raise it. Up in the balcony on this side. Yes, sir. Somewhere else. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Back in the back. Others. Others. We're going to pray for you in a moment. You're here today, and God is speaking to you. You're hurting. You have pain. You're going through. You're facing a giant. And today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you want to start speaking to your giants and tell them how big your God is instead of being defeated by them. And you really mean business. I want you to lift your hand as well. I need God to do something powerful in my life. Lift, lift your hand right now all over this place. There you go. Okay, you can put it down. Here's what I'd like to do. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart this song that we sang earlier, I Speak Jesus. We're going to speak Jesus over your problem today. And so here's how we're going to close this service. I'm going to invite the prayer partners, the elders, the board members to come. In fact, I want you to come right now, guys, if you would. They're going to face you. Some of you need a little more prayer than just a song and a, and a general prayer. I will dismiss you in prayer in just a moment. But here's what I want you to do. If you raise your hand, I want you to come down, and you can have these guys pray with you, or you can stand here and, and speak Jesus over your, over your situation. But either way, God's going to do something powerful in your life as you come. Would you come? Lead us in it, if you would, please. Just step right out right now. That's right. Come on down. Come on down. If you raise your hand, this is your day. This is how we'll finish this service today. We'll finish in the presence of God, giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do something powerful. I would, I would encourage you. You're welcome to kneel, but I encourage you. Stand and lift your hands because you're standing as a champion, not a defeated dog, not a defeated wimp. You are a champion in Jesus' name. So I want you to just lift him up as you come. That's right. Come on down. Come on down. You're serious. You need God today. You come on down. That's right. Hallelujah. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Yes, Jesus. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Gonna sing it again, again. You may want to come. We're gonna wait. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Break every stronghold, shine through. Shadows burn like a fire. I'm speak Jesus. Oh, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. Hallelujah. Every soul held captive That's by right. depression. Let him pray for you. 
Father, I've done what you told me to do today, Lord. You told me to encourage your people to keep their focus on you. Now you do what only you can do, and that's touch our hearts and touch our lives. There are those that are, gonna, that are carrying some heavy weights in here today, Lord, but you are the lifter of our head. I pray you would lift their heads today. Encourage them. Let them know that you have them in the very palm of your hand. You see exactly what's happening, and you're going to bring victory into their situation. If they will not give up, keep persevering. Keep persevering. Take steps of faith. Trust the Lord. Quote His Word. Fill your heart, fill your mind with the Word of God, and watch what you will do. I believe that's what you're saying. So I thank you for that. Bless these that have come today. Bless every person, whether they're watching online or they're here in the sanctuary. I ask your blessing upon them as they go. And through this week, Holy Spirit, I ask you to do your office work and bring back to us those things that were spoken today or done today that pertain to us as individuals and help us to meditate on them and to glean what it is that you would have us learn from you, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. You're welcome to go. If you want prayer, we're here to pray for you. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.